and welcome to the Community Pulse. I'm Mary Thingval. And I'm Jason Hand. Today we're going to be talking to John O'Bacon, community strategist and leader, and author of The Art of Community, which I had the privilege of promoting with him during my time at O'Reilly Media. <laughs> so, John O, you referred to some as, by some, excuse me, as the grandfather of community. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Am I that old? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know. Absolutely not. But <laughs> what got you started in community? What got you excited about it and into it in the first place? I actually weirdly remember it quite vividly. Um, it was back in 1998. My my brother came to stay with us, uh, my older brother Simon, and uh, he got me. In, he, he told me about Linux and. Uh, installed Linux on my computer because I was complaining about Windows and I used to work in a bookshop at the time um, and I went and bought a book called Slackware Unleashed and it came with a CD on the back with with Linux on it and uh, he basically spent the whole evening because it was a bit of a, a military operation getting this thing set up and he got it all set up and then um, basically he left the following day so I got home from school the following day I was 18 and there was a post-it note on the screen with a username and a password to log in and I had no idea what to do. So I started reading this book called Slackware Unleashed. And the first chapter was about the community, about how open source kind of how people around the world got together to, to build uh, software. And they, they connected over the internet and they shared code and things like that. And that notion of people collaborating together online and building and improving the thing that brought them together uh, was just absolutely fascinating to me. And it really kind of switched on a fairly dimly lit light bulb, but a light bulb nonetheless. Uh, and from then onwards, you know, I started kind of getting interested and in getting to know the Linux community and getting to know the wider open source community and participating in some, some projects. Uh, and I just started getting more and more of a thirst for, like, how do we work effectively together as, as human beings to do real stuff? And uh, I think that's how it started. Cool. Fantastic. Um, and, uh, you know, I was going to say, um, Jonah, before I was familiar with you, uh, you know, Mary and I had met a few times and had um, talked. We've got this uh, Slack channel called the Evangelist Collective um, hmm. that we started uh, a while ago. Feels like it's been about a year almost, I'd say, right, Mary? And uh, we we started, you know, just sort of tossing back and forth some different ideas and what are some different um, conferences that are coming up and and what are some different resources to begin looking into, you know, how to build community and how to bring people together and have that same experience, much like what you were just um, kind of you know, explaining to us. And she's the one who brought to my attention The Art of Community, um, the book right. that you had written. Um, so I'm curious to know, like, uh, at what point did you decide that a book was important? And, and was it you know, uh, something that you'd been sitting on for a long time? Or like, what, what's the story behind the book? Yeah, well, I, I'd written, uh, you know, I'd written a couple of books before that. Um, one called Linux Desktop Hacks, and another one on PHP. And um, you know, as I was, you know, a community leadership was starting to become my profession. I, I did some of it at a company called Open Advantage, which was a UK government-funded organization that basically provided free consultancy, open-source consultancy, to people. But it was when I joined Canonical as the Ubuntu Community Manager, and I'd never heard the term community manager before. In fact, I think I may have been one of the first or one of the very early community managers in the technology world because I'd certainly never seen that job title before. And in my first year or so, well, a couple of years, I never met anybody else who had the same kind of job title. So it provided like a stomping ground for me to, to learn really how do you build good communities, to make some good 
to make some some good steps and some bad steps and, and learn from the bad steps. Um, and kind of a, a methodology was starting to pan out there. And uh, this is it was about probably two and two or so years into working at Canonical when I started thinking, I feel like we're at the beginning of a brand new industry forming here that um, there is value in people who can understand that interesting connective tissue between the the people and the product uh, because it's you know as anybody who who's done this before knows it's a really interesting amalgamation of of collaboration of trust of privacy um, of opportunity and also of insecurity in some folks as well so you know I I started kind of developing in my own mind what the good and bad methodology was and then, like I said, a couple of years in, I started thinking, I want to do what I can to, to move this industry forward. Because it was around, I'd say, 2007 or so, we were starting to see some people getting interested in community leadership. And some of those folks were, in my selfish uh, mind, not doing what I consider to be the right thing. They were focusing more on going to conferences and waving their hands around on a stage as opposed to actually solving difficult problems of how do you get people to collaborate more effectively together. So, you know, my, my goal was I want to, in this early stage of the game, I want to instill my thesis of, of how you do it to start as a, a to, to be kind of like a discussion point moving forward. Um, and that's when, you know, the relationship with O'Reilly already existed. I'd, I'd published Linux Cluster Packs through them and I actually um, had a conversation with a guy called Andy Oram, who was my editor on the books, and um, I, you know, I'd, I'd had this idea of a community book for a while, and in fact, I talked to A Press about it. I think it was first, uh, but it was too niche of an audience. But at that time, O'Reilly felt like it would be would be worth doing a book on. So, you know, so I went ahead and did that, and you know, I wanted to make it very clear to the world, like this is just my idea of how you do it. This is not the way you have to do it. This is not necessarily even the right way to do it. This is just one way of doing it. And it actually, for me, selfishly, it turned out to be one of my better career decisions because um, so many people have read it and have, have got in touch with me and said, well, you know, you, you talk about this, but I've also discovered this and I've also discovered this and you were full of crap about this. And, <laughs> and it's, so it's really helped to facilitate a conversation like I say, at a time when, back in those early days, when there really wasn't a lot of other people doing that kind of thing. And my, and my wider goal was I wanted to write a book to set up a consultancy practice and then to organize a conference. So the book came first. The consultancy came after the book. So I consulted with some companies like Deutsche Bank and Samsung and places like that. And then the Community Leadership Summit came after that. Cool. Yeah, I, I you know once once Mary had mentioned it to me, I immediately went and uh, you know got the ebook off of Amazon and dove right in. It's thank you, know, you. As you as you know, we, we spend a lot of time on planes, which is an opportunity to, <laughs> to uh, the podcasts. Hopefully, like this one and uh, yeah, totally. You know, break down uh, books and stuff. But uh, I believe I got the more recent version, and I know this original one had came out in 2012. Um, what, if anything, really has changed much since since that first uh, edition? So, so the first edition had, you know, it was the big piece of work. You know, it was write, writing a book from scratch. And what was really hard about writing the, the art of community was, again, as anyone who's done community leadership knows, there's not a linear path in teaching it. You know, if you're talking about uh, governance, for example, you need to know about conflict resolution. But to know about conflict resolution, you need to know about 
relationship management. And there's all of these different pieces that kind of fit together. So the hardest bit was actually how do you present this, this spaghetti of information and, and techniques in a way that makes sense. And that was really the most difficult. That's where Andy Oram, I, I couldn't be more thankful to him for his guidance and leadership there. Um, but the second, the second edition was really, uh, really the goal there was to expand it, to, to include stuff that I'd learned in the couple of years since the publication of the first edition. I really didn't go and change a lot of the original content. I went and changed some elements that you know I'd, I'd learned the folly of my ways. Um, but then I also in incorporated in the second edition a ton of interviews with with various community leaders. So there's an interview with uh, you know Linus Torvalds who created Linux, Mike Shinoda who's the co-founder of Linkin Park, uh, the band who do some really interesting stuff, uh, Mike Linksveyer from the Creative Commons, uh, you know Ilan Rubinovich from the so-called Linux Expo, and various other people. So mm -hmm. it was really the idea there was yes, you, you've got this thesis that I've written about how to do it, but Let's hear some interesting, interesting, thought-provoking stories from some other people to get people thinking in different ways. Because we really are, in my mind, in the very early stages of this industry, and we're still figuring out the, uh, you know, what's the best way to do these things. Yeah. Totally agreed. Absolutely. I think one of the things that we're struggling a lot with is titles. What do we call ourselves? Um, a lot of people say community manager, a lot of people say social media manager, a lot of people say those two are the same thing. Um, some of us disagree, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, but I noticed you call yourself a community strategist. Why is that? Well, I kind of interchange them uh, really in a few different ways. Um, the, so in my mind, uh, a community strategist is someone who sits down and looks at you know the the stakeholders and the community and what some what an organization wants to accomplish and then puts in place a strategy so they say you know this is what I tended to do when I was consulting you know I'd, I'd go to a company and say what kind of community do you want to build and what are your what are your ultimate goals and then you can sit down as a strategist and say this is the infrastructure this is the process this is how we're going to manage all of this here's how you're going to buy you get buy-in from the different people in the organization because invariably with a lot of companies for example um, the you know the first foray into community most people in the company are absolutely not bought into that it's it's alien it's weird it feels like you're giving away control and a lot of this is internal politicking uh, in, in many cases and I think a, a good strategist does that kind of stuff to me a community manager or some people say a community leader and some people say a community gardener is the is the person who is actually going out there and doing the work of delivering that strategy and engaging with the community and building growth and delivering value um, and then I think there's other obviously there's, there's related pieces like some people use the term community manager to describe social media manager and in my mind it's you know my definition of community is is more than social social media is a tool and a component of it but it's by no mean the the, the full essence of it and there are awesome there are awesome social media folks out there who do yeah. Uh, but to me, community is a much broader spectrum. But you know, part of the challenge here is that there's loads of different types of communities. You've got read communities, as I call them. You know, people who get together to share a common interest, to share a passion, such as Lord of the Rings or Taylor Swift or whatever it might be. You've got write communities where people collaborate together from ball game. And now we're even seeing things such as crowdsourcing with Uber and Lyft and Airbnb and stuff like that. Yeah, I think uh, you made a really important distinction that sometimes people uh, do get confused, and that is um, 
that they believe a community manager is really just someone who brings people together uh, socially online through the various social networks. And um, I think that's unfortunate because, it, you know, as, as much as, uh, I mean, actually a social media manager, I believe, these days is extremely important, mostly because they're sort of the internal um, PR and brand manager to a certain degree, and they sort of right. you know, manage and just at least be aware of what's going on and what's being spoken to about the company or about the brand, but then yeah. also make sure that that message is, is put out there into the proper channels the way it needs to be done. So yeah. I think, you know, the social media manager or social media role plays uh, sort of a collaborative role with community, but certainly not the same thing at all. Well, I think as well, it, it, uh, there's a the big distinct company, uh, you know, for example, I learned this uh, to a significant extent when I went to XPRIZE, you know, I went from um, and really building a community in, in an organization and in a culture where community was very natural and very, and to a reasonable extent, understood. Open source, it's very well understood. And then I went to XPRIZE, an organization where community really didn't exist. You know, this was a brand new concept, a brand new premise, and rather unsurprisingly, in a lot of organizations, when something's new, people, if they don't have the information, they'll fill in the gaps themselves in their own heads, and that can freak people out. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, uh, community in the eyes of XPRIZE was social media, but community in the eyes of Canonical was, you know, was, was the team that I ran, that was a really fundamental piece of how we built Ubuntu. So. I think there's some, this is why I think it's a, a very difficult thing to determine is that just the, the articulation of the role is complex. It's like the term, the concept of a programmer is well understood, uh, but then the variation is in what they're programming and what, they, and what projects they're programming, whereas the concept of a community leader or community manager varies massively across different industries, I think. So. Yeah, you know, you, you bring up something um, that, uh, well, kind of perfectly leads into my next question. First of all, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the Community Leadership Summit, uh, mm. which I attended the first time this past summer, uh, right before OzCon out in Portland. And one of the things that um, was talked about a number of times out there, and I, I, I may have been the one who brought it up, was um, I felt, you know, I was there to learn about building a community, um, but a lot of the conversations that were being had were actually more focused on open source types of community. Right. And um, I think there's a lot of people out there who, when they hear community, that's what they associate it with. And for me, you know, I come from uh, VictorOps, and, and we're not an open source tool that doesn't really apply to us, but I'm still trying to build some sort of a community, uh, both internal, uh, but also external as well. And yeah. a lot of those conversations, they're just not really relevant to, to what I'm yeah. doing. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. That, so the the original goal of the community leadership summit, you know, and as you mentioned, it it happens the weekend before OSCON each year. This year was our seventh year. I think we've done it. Um, and next year it'll be in Austin uh, instead of Portland because OSCON's moved over there. Um, the original goal was really that across all professions, bring people together who are who are building communities in whatever way. It could be technology, it could be open source, it could be government, uh, social activism, whatever it might be. And get those people together to 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 share and learn best practice from each other. Um, and in reality, that's actually kind of difficult, as you probably saw at CLS, because um, you know there there is a basic level of of commonality, I think, between any community leader around things such as 
you know, methods of engagement, behavioral economic theory, uh, you know, um, this kind of like, uh, I forget the, the, the description, um, there's this notion of, oh, what is it, there's a book called Nudge that I, I've been reading, which is, which is basically talks about, you know, choice architecture in, in, you know, a community is a journey, it's an experience, and you provide a set of choices, and you can architect those set of choices to develop certain outcomes, and this kind of fits in with the whole behavioral economics uh, theory that a lot of people are very interested in. Um, so those kind of components really can map to any community. Um, but then outside of that, any level of detail, you start getting into specifics. And you, uh, uh, the Community Leadership Summit every year is predominantly dominated by uh, by open source folks because it's before an open source conference rather yeah, than surprise. Yeah, of course. Me. Makes perfect sense. Um, so I, I kind of gave up on that a little bit in the last couple of years and just, you know, I've just accepted that CLS is, is more of a technology open source uh, orientated conference. Um, but uh, there is definitely, you know, there's a lot of nuance in, 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 in how things are applied, even the same principles how they're applied in different areas. So for example, governance. In an open source setting, governance there's many examples of it. You know, we've seen community councils forming. We've seen it within Ubuntu, within Red Hat, Fedora, within Apache, places like that. Uh, there are, you know, people are grandfathered in. You have, you know, codified uh, agreements for those different governance boards and all the rest of it. But code, but but governance within a non-open source project or a, a or an organization, for example, is quite different. We actually did this at XPRIZE. Um, one of the one of the goals of the leadership team at XPRIZE was to just build a, a greater level of engagement with the employees, and it's a relatively small organization. And one of the ideas that was proposed and that I was uh, played a role in was setting up a governance council for employees. And this is an internal thing. So a lot of the elements of how we operate that governance work quite differently to how you do it in open source. So yeah, the goal of the CLS really is to kind of just my goal is that people can go there and they can learn something and they can learn a series of things that will help them to think a little differently and every year I go there and someone says something, someone drops something into conversation, it can be in a session or it can be over a drink in the evening and it really gets your mind turning and considering new options and new ideas and that's, that's the, the primary goal. So that kind of segues into a question that I had. Um, hmm. Speaking of XPRIZE and switching out of open source, you had a article um, in IT World recently, an interview that was posted. <laughs> um, and you talked a lot about read communities and write communities and, and the idea of crowdsourcing and how that how those three things differ from each other. Uh, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So one thing I, I'm going to use this as a pedestal to uh, to make a, something clear. One thing that was that took me a little bit, bit by surprise when I saw that article go online was it said, uh, John O'Bacon on leaving open source and going to XPRIZE. And I just want to make it very clear to everyone, I'm not leaving open source. I've not left open source. Sorry, you don't get rid of me that easily. You mean <laughs> everything that's posted on the internet isn't true? Because <laughs> right. it hit Slashdot. And uh, I got like a, you know, I was just working one day and just a bunch of private messages appeared and people said, hang on, you've left open source? It's like, what are you talking about? I went to Slashdot and there it was on the on the front page. So I like dropped slash dot a message and said, you know, is there any chance you could clarify the title? Um, so it's a great question, though. I, I think there there are um, there are there are again 
subtle differences between those different types of communities. I, crowdsourcing, in some ways, I don't really consider much of a community because Uber is the classic example because invariably those, the people who are the inventory in Uber, they don't really get together as a community. They could, you could arguably do that. You could have a forum for Uber drivers, for example, um, where they could trade horror stories of the general public. Um, but it's not really a community. Um, it's it's inventory, and it's a really interesting way of using people to populate a service. Um, and we're seeing that across the board. We've seen it with doctors and Airbnb and, and stuff like that. The the primary difference in my mind between read and write and the opportunity with within both of them is that read communities are really about people meeting like-minded people. It's, it's, it's people getting together and having a sense of... Um, of, of unity of kindred spirits and you know one of the things that I think we've learned as people is you know we're animals and as animals we're social we're inherently social and we enjoy spending time with like-minded people uh, that's the reason why bars are so popular is that people like to go and hang out with their friends and 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 be social and talk about the world and what Donald Trump said last week um, where so so the the goal of a community is really just getting those folks together Whereas with right communities, it adds that whole project leadership and collaboration piece in there. And that becomes a lot more complicated because invariably if you've got a company behind a community, you've got this awkward balance of a company that's building a product, a community that's playing a role in building that product and consuming that product, and the information flow and the, and, and the, and the content flow between those two different entities. Um, and it's hard enough just to keep, you know, we all know it with every company there are communication challenges. Uh, it's hard enough within a company, within the walls of a company, let alone when you add an external uh, element to this. And one of the major benefits of communities, and uh, Dan Arely made a point of this when he wrote Predictably Irrational, is, is um, it's about building trust. Is that when you have a community and it's out in the open, and you do your business out in the open, it, it provides... Um, unequivocal accountability so you can see what that company does and how it engages and that's one of the reasons why I think open source has been so successful so the right element of things is a lot more complicated than the read piece um, and uh, and I think we're you know we spend a lot of our time in the open source world focusing on that right piece but there's a lot of complexity goes into the read piece as well well and I think part of the complexity that goes into the right piece is the idea of, you know, as soon as you open up the, the communication flow and allow people to talk back to you, right. you can get people talking back to you and, and <laughs> yeah. dealing with, you know, disrespectful comments or, you know, I don't approve of the changes you made and things like that. I know you have a book and a video along that topic as well. Um, mm. Mm. Talk to us about how that came about. Yeah, so I wrote this book called uh, Dealing with Disrespect. Um, and I, I did a, a presentation that I, I presented on it at, uh, at OSCON one year and, and recorded a kind of a video to put online as well. It, it goes back many years, uh, a frustration that I'd had um, where there was many people over the years, good friends of mine who I've met in various communities who got out of various open source communities or collaborative communities because they do something, they take time away from their friends and their family to, to make something and to share it, whether it's a song, a video, a piece of software, whatever else, and then they get attacked. They, they'd have cynical people, 
attacking them for their for their work, for their uh, choices, or for their looks, or whatever else. And they'd think, you know what? Screw this. You know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend my time making something only for it to be crapped upon. Frankly, um, and you know, over the in my time at Canonical, one of the things I learned there was Canonical made a series of controversial decisions from time to time. And uh, so I was, as, a, as one of the public representatives of the project, I was put in the crosshairs quite, quite a few times. And uh, one of the things I learned from those experiences was, was um, the optimal situation, I think, for, for anyone in a public position is to learn from the, the, the feedback and the critique and to ignore the trolling. And I think it's difficult for people to do that. Is I, you know, through practice, <laughs> rightly or wrongly, I learn kind of how to not. It, some people describe it as building a grown a thick skin. To me, it's more than that. Grown a thick skin is about deflecting things you don't like. To me, this was about was about really pulling out the value in the in the discussion, and then also learning more about the person you're, you're conversing with. So, I'll give you an example. Um, there was a time. There was uh, I'll, I will anonymize who the person was, but there was a person some years back, uh, we, we I, can't remember, I can't even remember what it was, but we did something, and this guy basically, um, who was usually pretty cool, a little critical from time to time, basically just sent me an email and just absolutely laid into me, he was attacking me about my decisions, about, he was even attacking me for like my accent, uh, I just moved to the US and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, when I read that email, what was evident to me was he was stressed. Like this was not his normal persona. Uh, you know, when I when I read into the into the into the words, I saw there was an insecurity that was playing a role there. He was stressed, and it told me that there's something going on outside of his life. So I, I got on the phone with him. We had a chat, and it turned out that his wife had just left him, and um, you know he was in just a bad state in life. And one of the things that I learned over the years was. You know, when you see this kind of critique, when you see this kind of feedback, you don't know what somebody else's bad day is. Uh, you know, you don't know somebody maybe having health problems, maybe having family problems. Um, and it's all too easy for us to just look at the words. So, you know, when, when I remember thinking to myself, I want to help people who are in this position where they experience this kind of contact, co uh, conduct, uh, and they just they get frustrated and they get exacerbated and they don't know what to do. So I basically started thinking and talking and talked with a bunch of folks who I know and trust and I wanted to come up with a framework that people could use to kind of process kind of material, whether it's awful YouTube comments uh, or whether it's blog comments or whatever it might be, you know, to, to be able to take this kind of stuff and put it into context. And, uh, and that's what the book basically is. And my goal really was write a short book that you can read in a couple of hours and it will just give you a tool that you can use to process this kind of stuff. And I think it can also be useful, for example, within organizations where, you know, I've, I've worked with many people in the past where they're in a, in, in a meeting where someone's critical of the work that they do and they completely overreact, they blow up or they get depressed and they don't handle it in what we would consider a particularly professional way. And I think the book can be useful also for helping people to manage those kinds of situations because a big chunk of this, I think, is is looking at is looking at yourself from the outside in and saying, what's the best way for me to react to this situation, um, as opposed to just emotionally reacting to that situation.
Yeah, and I, I think that's kind of important um, for especially a lot of community leaders to consider because we are the ones who um, perhaps have to engage with trolls or at least deal with someone who's who's got something to say that it seems like they just want to come in and and uh, rattle some cages. They're not really providing anything useful to a conversation. And uh, yeah. I, I know at least for, for, my, for myself, you know, I'm a creative person and, and most of anything that I put out, you know, for others to view, it, this, this podcast included, um, if someone has anything uh, negative to say about it, I, I'm going to take that, you know, as much as I try to avoid taking things personal, it is sort of your baby, it is your project, you put some time into it. And um, it's it's hurtful to hear those types of comments made. Yeah, no, it, 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 I think, and I think that part of the challenge here is that people conflate. Um, I think people conflate reasonable critique and trolling. So, um, you know, I think there are times when somebody is is remarkably critical about something, and they can be very pointed uh, in the way that they pre present that criticism. And that's perfectly fine. That's not necessarily trolling. Sure. Uh, but then there are times when people conflate trolling with, you know, feedback. And mm -hmm. to me, if you're an asshole and you're providing feedback, uh, you're still an asshole. <laughs> and we need to and we need to get that in check. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. Really looking forward to uh, taking time to check that out. Um, one of the things that you had mentioned, just uh, kind of leading into that um, conversation, was that the as we were talking about the things we we create and the things that we do, we spend a lot of our own personal time um, investing into these things, and that's time away from our family, and that's time away from our friends, that's time away from our hobbies, it's time you know just uh, kind of being offline and, and readjusting to ourselves. Hmm. And I think in a lot of cases, this role or these the roles that follow fall under the community leadership type of stuff. Uh, require a lot of travel, even in today's day and age, with uh, you know things like Google Hangouts and Skype and the ability to you know instantly yeah. communicate with people around the world. Um, there's something that you just can't replace when when you're with someone face to face and and having yeah. those engagements. So um, you know I, I know you, you're married, you've got a young one. Talk a little bit about the travel aspect of this type of role and how you've been able to sort of deal with that. Maybe advice for others. Yeah, it's 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 always difficult, and um, you know the the travel definitely plays an important role, I think, in in the job because you know as as you as you mentioned, uh, the travel is invariably where you build and foster relationships. Um, you know, it's where you get together with people, and there is, as you said, there is just such tremendous value in face to face relationships. Um, and I don't think that's just sitting across a meeting table. I think that is going to dinner together. It's having a drink together in a bar. Uh, it's all of those different elements. It's 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 developing social cohesion with people. Um, it's and it's really 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 important. Um, and I think it's also where community leaders build legitimacy as well. Um, you know, I think it's important for all of us to to be able to um, to 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 demonstrate the value that we bring. To any community and any organization, and you know, it, having people experience you working is, is is a good thing. We can do that, I think, better in many cases face to face. It definitely has. I, it, it's like anything it, in my mind. It's it's balance. You know, um, like whenever I travel, uh, you know, if I have to travel, I like to make sure that there is at least like a week when I'm at home. Um, 
you know, where I can spend some time. I don't like to be away too much, but I also need to travel sometimes. So, for example, when I travel, um, I try to avoid traveling at weekends. I'm with my family. Um, if I have to be away for a week, uh, I try to leave some time between trips. Uh, and sometimes it's unavoidable. I mean, like my wife is away right now, and I leave before she gets back. Uh, it's it, it's difficult from time to time. And then I think you can you can obviously mitigate this with you know having hangout. Like I have a hangout with my son all the time, you know, so we can we can catch up and you know, and all that kind of stuff. But it it is one of the things I learned later in my career was just the importance of that face to face stuff. I used to be of the the opinion that. Um, getting people together face-to-face -to -face for sprints or events or meetings was a nice-to-have in a lot of communities. Um, and I was wrong to think that. It's not a nice-to-have. It's a critical-to-have. Um, it's absolutely essential. And it's difficult to justify that to, to companies because it's expensive. You know, I mean, when we used to get people together for the Ubuntu Developer Summit, it was incredibly expensive to pull... 400 people together for a week uh, and all the airfare and hotel accommodation and per DM fees and all that kind of stuff. So, But it, it was really important and particularly in building trust and also regaining trust when you have, you know, complexity in communities, you cannot beat face-to-face -face communication, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, I get to a lot of events and, and uh, Mary, I'm sure you've got some comments on this too, but most of the best... Um, uh, engagements or interactions I have with people are, are in the hall. They're as we're crossing paths, you know, going to different speakers or um, kind of like at the, the, the community leadership summit with the open spaces. I mean, I get so much more out of those types of conversations than I do, you know, sitting in, a, in, a, in an auditorium listening to somebody talk. <laughs> you get a lot of good stuff there too, but it's the relationship building stuff that you just can't do. Um, as well, you know, it's not that it's impossible to do it, you know, over Google Hangouts and, and yeah, whatever, but um, yeah, exactly. and I knew that going into this job, you know, it's it's at least fifty percent travel, and that's a little bit daunting and can put a strain on relationships and health, and um, you know, as Mary can attest to, like, you need some real serious time off after going and doing these things for a while. It can actually have a physical negative effect on you. Yeah, and I think a lot of people can suffer burnout from that. It's you mm -hmm. know, is you know, it's, uh, my view has always been tr when you want to travel, traveling is so much fun and it's great. But when you don't want to travel, and there was times in my career when I really didn't want to be away. Like my first year at Canonical, I was on the road all the time. And I enjoyed it. I loved it. I was, you know, uh, my, uh, towards the, the end of that period, I was, I was, I was starting to feel the, the burn a little bit. And when you don't want to travel and you have to sit in that airplane for a 15-hour trip to go somewhere you don't particularly want to go, it really sucks. It's draining. <laughs> <laughs> so. But I do agree with the face-to-face -face communication. I mean, there's, there's times when that can even solve the problems that you're trying to solve, period. Like, right. we were talking earlier about, you know, dealing with, with comments from people and not understanding, uh, you know, how it was intended or what they're... What they're message truly was supposed to be and sometimes you just need to be in the same in the same place yeah and exactly. that definitely needs to be taken in consideration um, but also the balance is huge yeah totally all right well I think we're almost about ready to wrap up um, do you have any resources that you'd recommend for people who are building a community or growing one of theirs or 
strategizing about how to how to get that started in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I I think if people are you know wanting to get into this, um, a couple of thoughts and and resources. The first thing I'd recommend is is just just get to know some 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 people who who you can ask questions to. Uh, and I'm always happy to answer people's questions. People can email me at jono at jonobacon.org. Um, but, uh, you know, having somebody who you can kind of bounce ideas off, because it, can be, it can be a bit daunting at first. Um, so find some good communities to kind of join and participate in. I think um, the other thing is just observ observational skills, just like watch communities, watch what people do, learn from, from their work is a good thing to do as well. In terms of resources, I mean, obviously, I'd recommend the, the Art of Community. Um, you can go and download it if you if you can't afford to buy it. You can go and get it from the website. There's a PDF on there. Um, and the communityleadershipforum.com is uh, a community of community managers. Um, and then if you can get to the Community Leadership Summit, we'd love to see you. And that's a, a free event to get to as well. It's going to be in Austin next year. And then a couple of other things that I, books that I've, been reading recently that I think are interesting that I'd recommend. Uh, I mentioned Predictably Irrational by Dan Arely. Fascinating introduction to behavioral economics, which is really interesting. I'd take a look at Dr. David Rock's SCARF um, uh, paper, which are you know five components that uh, are prevalent in how human beings like to engage with other human beings. Um, there's a great book called The Spider and the Starfish, which is about the, the switch or the the switch from centralized management to decentralized management and the mixture of that like YouTube tend to manage themselves that way for example that's a great book um, you know I mentioned nudge I just started reading this book recently which is which is just fantastic uh, I'd take a look at that um, and then I just also say that I think great community leaders are people who really are members of the communities that they want to build um, so you know just a big chunk of it is not just about building a great community. It's about understanding your your demographic. Um, so, you know, if, if you have never done anything with cloud computing and you go for a job as a cloud computing uh, community manager, you've got some learning to do. Uh, and Because you need to, you know, people who want to build process and they don't understand the needs of the people that they're building process for are bureaucrats. Um, and you don't want to be a bureaucrat, and it's it's very easy to be perceived as a bureaucrat if you are trying to foist process and uh, convention onto people who really want to work a different way. So I just en encourage people to really understand the the role and of the person that you're you're building the community for. Um, I think that's about it. Cool. Well, those are all great tips and great advice, and um, <clears throat> we'll be sure to add not only some of those um, you know, resources that you shared with us, um, but some of the other things that you've been working on as far as like the Community Leadership Forum and that kind of st uh, stuff and Community Leadership Summit. Um, awesome. We're hearing all that on our site, and um, uh, we should probably be wrapping up here soon. Uh, this time has just flown by, so I feel like we already need to schedule to have you back on the show again real soon. Love to. Yeah, happy to help, and thank you yeah. for inviting me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks this for joining is, us today. Yeah, this right. has been great. We've got um, um, you know, all kinds of topics that we want to hit. It's really tough to get to them in a short amount of time. Uh, but we thank you for being a part of this. This is our very first episode. We did sort of a meet the, the hosts episode already. Um, but this one will be the, the first uh, uh, with a guest on it. And it's been a pleasure to have you a part of it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it.
Yeah, so um, with that said, I guess, uh, Mary, unless you've got anything else to add, uh, we can go ahead and say goodbye. Thank you for uh, tuning in to Community Pulse. And uh, stay, uh, you know, stay in touch with us. Uh, I'm Jason Hand on Twitter. And I'm Mary underscore Grace on Twitter. And uh, be sure to check out communitypulse.io for more information about the upcoming um, episodes that we'll have and all kinds of great resources on there. And uh, we will just see you next time.